Impact, income, and influence. Do you want the most powerful, actionable takeaways from today's episode? Go to actionbullets.com to grab the quick, easy-to-read takeaways that will help you change your life and grow your business. Or you can click the Action Bullets link in the description below. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to Grow Your Impact, Income, and Influence, the number one show that helps you reach millions of people, make millions of dollars, and grow your business. My name is Steve Warner. I am glad that you are here. Today, we are going to be talking about how to build courses. We're going to talk about how to take a book that you have and turn that into a course and grow your bank balance. I'm here with the CEO of theauthorsleverage.com, Par- Parcel. I got to say your name correct. Man, I'm so sorry. We went through this beforehand. I'm horrible. It's my fault. Not her. She has a beautiful name. Pars- I'm going to let you do it. See, I'm nervous. Marcel, Tashi. Pars- okay. Awesome. Um, so you didn't start off being good at video. You didn't start off being good at doing courses. You started off as a math teacher, which I think is awesome. Yeah. How did you go from doing that to becoming a master of video and helping people build courses? Yes. Excellent question. I get asked this quite often. Yeah. I started out as a math teacher. That was what I was exposed to in terms of a career for myself because my mother, she just retired as a math teacher for, uh, you know, over like 40 years. So, um, but when I was younger, I was about 12 or 13. I, you know, was involved in the church and different community programs. And so they gave us these flyers to hand out to people like your friends, people in the neighborhood, And I don't know if you remember old school back in the day when flyers used to be made on Microsoft Word, when you had that 3D text and the freaking clip art images and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, yeah, send, give this to your friends and invite them to come. I'm like, I'm not handing this to anybody. It looks horrible, you know? And uh, that's what got me on the computer, just being creative and trying to make something look better. Cause you know, you get the Sunday circular and you're like, oh, this like, this looks exciting. How come ours doesn't look like this? So that's what got me on the computer. And I just did it for fun, did it for family, friends, community groups for free uh, all the time. And I had no idea of a concept of making money from stuff that I could create on the computer. I didn't, I was not exposed to that way of life. And so even though I had this creative side to me, my path was go to school, get a job. And I ended up as a math teacher. And so here like I am as math? a math teacher. I love math. Math, it, it's, for some reason, it came a lot easier to me. And I probably have a little bit of an advantage because my mom was a math teacher. So she was like constantly quizzing us. What's 20% of this? What's 40% of that? Like just randomly, you had to think it up and have a response. And so, uh, yeah, math was always really, really fun for me. Um, so here I am as a, a math, math teacher and somebody had seen some work I did for a community group and they said, oh man, we need that for us. How much would you charge? I'm like, charge what? Like for what? Why? Like you guys want to pay me to do this? Get out of here. Like I couldn't even believe it. And so that's really when the entrepreneur bug bit me and I, I realized, wow, I can make some side money just doing this for people for, you know, for a little change here and there as a teacher. Um, but the bug, the bug bit me, like I said, and that desire kept growing and growing. And I became more annoyed with the fact that there was a bell that went off at the school that determined where I needed to be at what time. And just things started to get to me. And I, uh, eventually got hooked up with a coach at the time who said, man, you know, you could do this full time, quit teaching if you want. 
uh-huh, had thought about that. So it just opened up an opportunity for me and I got some coaching and uh, over a two year period was growing this video business as a solo freelancer and teaching at the same time to where I was eventually able to break free from it and be full time as a videographer. My mom thought I was nuts, but here I am. <laughs> That's all right. I, I can relate a lot to that, to the listeners who don't know. I grew up with a mom who was a teacher. We were talking about this beforehand, too. My mom taught English spelling. I can't spell. I, <laughs> I, like I read everything phonetically. It drove my mom nuts. But she was doing the same thing. Like growing up, I, she would quiz me all the time. Like she'd be like, what? Like she would she would have she reads all the time. So she'd be like, what's in that book? Tell me this. Like we'd be walking through the grocery store and she'd be asking questions. <laughs> yes. and, oh, man. She, she doesn't understand what I do either. She, she thinks it's great, but she has no clue. She's like, what do you do? Like we, I just spent Christmas with her. We're recording this right after Christmas. Um, and she like, I've been doing this for eight years and she's just like, like, I'll talk about business stuff. And she's just like, I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm glad, I'm glad you're doing well. I'm glad you like it. It's hard. I mean, being a teacher is one, it's a, it is something that every every community, every, everybody needs. And like, my heart goes out to you guys. Cause it's hard as crap. Teach a bunch of kids who don't want to learn anything, something. And then I think you've got the school also to your point, like the bells going off, they're telling you what to teach. They're telling you curriculum as a side note, I have to ask, what do you think of common core? Thumbs up, thumbs <laughs> down. You know, it's, <clears throat> I'm always like thumbs in the middle, like, you know, <laughs> you need some standard, but then there's also, you know, you have to have flexibility and really meet the needs of what our students need in the real world. And so, you know, I, okay. I, I'm, I'm in the middle on a lot of things we need it, but mm, yeah. Okay. Did you teach before Common Core? Yes. Okay. Like, it just seems hard. Like I watched some videos on it and I was like, I, I, I can follow it, but it seems to take forever when I can just. It does like here it is like i don't know anyway <laughs> yeah back to the videos. way that we the way that we learn math and and how to compute things is very different uh from from the way it's taught now it's actually somewhat a little bit more confusing but they're trying to yeah uh, formulate how to critically think and all that kind of stuff so i get it but it, uh, it's <laughs> crazy anyway back to yes. videos because video i think I mean, I teach people public speaking. I've been doing live events and public speaking since 2013, help people with webinars. We've done a lot with Facebook lives, all the stuff during COVID and people are scared to death of video, but you help them do it. I mean, I, I know you believe in it. I believe in it. I think it is, they say that communication is 90% nonverbal, which means video is a huge thing that grows that. When you started doing this one, how did you get good at it? Because you started, you kind of walked us through that 3D text. Oh my goodness. It brought back nightmares from high school. Um, but like, how did you get good at video? Because that's a, that's a lot like going from designing some flyers and brochures to video. How'd you learn? What are some of the things that you went through learning that? Yeah. Um, you know, for one, I did have some support. I had a coach at the time who kind of taught me the business side of video, but in the actual act of doing the video and creating it, it was it was really me just kind of knowing ahead of time what I wanted to create. And so for me, it was the source of inspiration of seeing what, you know, uh, 
what type of content that was being created that I liked, that I enjoyed everything from like TV shows to, you know, YouTube videos. And so I kind of started to kind of develop a theme of things that I liked and that I wanted to be able to create. And that's where I would start. And I had a shit ton of like guinea pigs and people that I just say, hey, let's come do something. Like, I want to take pictures of you guys. I want to make a video for you. Like, uh, it was really taking advantage of the people around me to kind of get that practice in and to develop something. Um, and then eventually that started to, of course, pour into the business to where I actually took on challenging work, things that I had never done before. I said yes before I knew how to do it. So that was a part of it too. Uh, you learn as you go. And so uh, that's how I really started to, to get better at it and, uh, and understanding video as a whole. So I went from being solo videographer, my own equipment, you know, showing up with everything on site mm -hmm. to eventually being like, you know what, I, really, I would like for someone else to come and set, the, set up the equipment so that I can focus on the client. I can talk and, and make them feel more comfortable. And then bit by bit, I started to actually grow and understand more from a producer standpoint, how this works. So while I was teaching in that two-year transition period, like summers off and sick days, like I was up doing internships to learn how to produce. So I put myself in positions to really understand not just how to operate the camera, but how to lead the people involved and how to make a, a really quality outcome. So I like, I think what you're sharing right now is so incredibly valuable, not just because people can understand that you learned, you went through a growth curve, but also anyone listening to this is just getting started. This is like one of the things that I, I like shout from the mountaintops. We will go to school for five years. We'll spend a hundred thousand dollars and we'll be happy to take a job that's makes 40 or 50 K. And we understand that people want to come online. They want to start being a influencer, whatever. And they're like, why am I not a millionaire by week five? Like mm. it, there's a growth curve. I recommend everybody do exactly what you did. Start off hustling, do some stuff for free, figure out what sticks because then you learn and you don't have the negative emotion inside. When you try to sell something, but you don't believe you can deliver it, you will not be able to, you're going to have all kinds of mental blocks and all kinds of head trash. But if you want to get over that, go do some work for free while you have your day job. That's why it's called a side hustle. That's why it's called like a side gig, like go figure it out. And then as your income over here builds and as your confidence builds, your business will build and you'll be able to leave that. But it's so hard when you see these people, I'm all in. And then, you know, they crash and burn five weeks later or they're upset because they're making minimum wage. It's like, you got to start somewhere. You're not, and you can't just come out and you can tell the bullshitters from a mile away that are like, I know how to do blah. Like, no, you don't. <laughs> no. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. And that's why you're having a hard time. And then it, it like creates this like very corrosive environment. Anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox. Let's go back to videos. <laughs> I want to know if somebody's thinking about doing videos and they are scared to death because that's the number one thing that I've heard from people, even with webinars, they don't want to turn their camera on. They're scared of what people are going to think of them. How do you get people over that hump? I, I advise them and encourage them and challenge them to start with an audience of one. So one of the strategies that I encourage is one-to-one -one videos, create one video for one person. And, and that can be you know, through LinkedIn, which has a, a video functionality within the messenger. Um, there's also, you know, your phone, create a video of yourself, send it to one person. It is a personalized video to that direct person. And what I found is that for one, it helps them to get over the fear of what are people going to think? Like, because usually the things that we're worried about, oh, my hair was, was messed up or, you know, 
my voice was crackly and all that kind of stuff. Like the person that receives the video doesn't see that at all. And so what I found is that when you focus just on speaking to that one person, you're not only able to get over those, you know, stupid fears that come up in our head, but you're also able to develop your voice around talking to one person because that's the effect that works the best when you're creating content, whether it's on YouTube or anything that you actually enjoy. You feel like that person is talking directly to you. So you can develop that skill just by some one-to-one practice, right? Um, another another thing that I recommend is using that uh, using, I would say, low-risk opportunities to practice being on camera. And thankfully with the pandemic, you know, like we're all zooming now, (laughs) zoom, zoom, zoom every day. But when you're, when you're in, um, well, let's say a group call when there's other people on the call too, that's a low risk opportunity for you to practice being on camera, practice talking uh, to this group, even if it's to introduce yourself for 30 seconds or whatever, that is time on camera that you can use at slow risk. You can get feedback on what you said and really start to just get uh, more comfortable in that way. So I have people start off in that in that respect, usually, because, again, it helps you just to develop this this manner of talking and speaking on camera to where you are really focused on one person. And when you get good at that, all your stuff is just uh, that much more better because you're authentic and you're talking directly to whoever's watching. Hey, I just wanted to take a quick break from this episode. Are you enjoying the stories so far? Would you like to know how to use storytelling and story selling in your business? Check the show notes down below or go to storyselling.how to grab my free mini course on story selling and start implementing this in your business right now. All right, let's jump back to the episode. That I think that is great advice. Do you have one or two YouTubers that you would recommend people check out to understand? Because I think that's the thing, right? Like there's a difference between doing a presentation and having a conversation. Emails work better when they come across as they're written to one person. Video definitely does. Do you have one or two people they could look at to see the like what you're talking about? Yes. Uh, one in particular that comes to mind is Chris Doe. He's a mentor mm-hmm. of mine, and he has a YouTube channel called The Future. No E on the end, just The Future. And uh, and his, his content and the way that he speaks on camera really definitely has that feel. I mean, it definitely feels like he just just talking to you. And uh, his advice has been incredible. And his means of delivering on camera is really, really great. Gosh, I'm trying to think of one other person. Uh, that I comes mean, I to can mind. the one that I mean, came to so mind many- for me. <laughs> yeah, was Casey Neistat. Like, I started uh, watching Casey in like 2015. And at the time, the stuff that he was doing, no one else was doing. I mean, he was like, he would break the fourth plane all the time. He'd tell a story then he'd talk directly to the camera. He'd do crazy zoom ins. He didn't care what his background looked like. He didn't care what anything looked like. He just cared about connection. And that, when you said that, like, that's the thing that, that hit me the hardest. I can't make videos nearly as rough cut as him. Cause I'm too perfectionistic even now. Right. <laughs> but I feel like watching one of his videos that you're like, crap, this guy's got it. I don't, I don't know if that's, no, no, definitely. Another person that comes to mind is like Pat Flynn. That's um, great. He's he's really great as well. Just turning, telling his personal story and just kind of tying it in and it just feels so comfortable. It feels like, you know, even though he's talking to a ton of people, it just feels like he's just talking to you. And that's that to me is the power of video. So he, he would be the second person that immediately comes to mind as like a YouTuber or, you know, someone online that kind of delivers in that way. Cool. The Okay, so... 
let's talk a little bit because the other thing that I hear all the time is I don't have the equipment. What do people need to do good video? Break it down for us in like a like entry level tier and a pro tier. You tell yeah. me what what you need. Absolutely. The objective when it comes to video is you need to be clearly seen. They need to be clearly heard. Point blank. And whatever tools will help you get there, you're going to you're going to knock it out the park. So uh, and then also, too, that the value of the content is really important. You want to make sure what you're saying is a value. But uh, in terms of the equipment, you know, to be clearly seen and heard, you need a camera. You need lights and you need some kind of microphone. And I would say the order of importance of that would be audio, <laughs> then video, then lighting, if I were to order it in that way. And of course, there's so many, uh, like you said, different tiers you can go with that, starting with your phone, right? Uh, that's the, honestly the perfect one, place to start because the phones are better than camcorders back in the day when I first started filming. So you have a, a complete studio in your pocket <laughs> right now that you can utilize to, to create video content. Um, and sometimes the audio is, is something you might want to monitor as well. Cause again, you could be looking at a, a, a quality picture, but if the audio sucks, the whole experience is like totally messed up. So if you are using your phone, make sure that you're close enough or in a quiet enough area to where you can clearly be heard. Otherwise you can start to add in other tools like a, a microphone you can actually plug in to your phone clip it to yourself or whatever. Now you, you know, the audio piece is taken care of and then go outside where there's sunlight, like bam. Now you've clearly seen and heard. You got a light source. You got a source for your, your visual, right? For the camera. And you got some clear audio going on from there. You can go steps up, right? You can update your camera, have another type of microphone and have really good lighting. So uh, there are tiers to it, but I, that's what I would say. If we're speaking to those who are just getting started, you already got a studio in your pocket. No excuses. <laughs> you can, uh, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars to do it. I mean, even the camera I'm using right now, which I help people during the pandemic get set up with a more quality look from their home office. Like this is a $500 DSLR camera. So I could take this off of my stand here and go use it anywhere else I want. I have two lights here that are set up um, that are attached to my desk. And then I have this microphone. So those are usually the main components you need to worry about when it comes to the equipment. And you can find yourself spending anywhere from 10 bucks to get another mic for your phone. Or in this case, this is probably like a seven or $800 setup. That's, I mean, that is great advice. The, uh, I will tell people when I got started, I was super nervous. I went through all of this, right? Like I was speaking on stage and I would, I would put a camera at first. I was like, I gotta do camera. I got I got to do videos. I wanted to start doing YouTube. So I went out and I bought an $800 DSLR a, like straight from Casey Neistat. I was like I need the Canon. Mm -hmm. Like boom, got that, got the lens, got the lights, got the mic. The first video that I shot took me 8 hours to do <laughs> like a 5 minute video because I couldn't get the script right. I wrote it all out that I'm trying oh, to yeah. do it. I like I think like I think I went through that for like 2 months. And then I literally just had a day where I was like, screw it. Right. Like I was like, nope, yeah. I'm not doing any of that crap. This was uh, this was 2015. So phones were not as good as they are now, but I just shot it on my phone. I got a $10, exactly what you're saying. I still have it. Mm -hmm. It's here in here in my office somewhere. It was a, a like 10 or $15 lavalier mic that plugged into my phone and clipped on. Mm -hmm. I shot, I probably shot at, 
100, 150 videos on that phone, got massive traction and built my business through that. And it like from, and I stopped, this is one thing I would love your thoughts on this. I stopped using mm-hmm. a script the way that I did it. I started using a post-it note. I would flip the post-it note over. So the sticky part was at the top. And then I would give myself three bullet points. I put it on the back of my phone and then I would go. And granted, I spoke on stage. I mean, I spoke on more than 300 stages so I, I can speak, but just doing that and then repetition over and over and over. And I still to this day, if I'm speaking somewhere, I'll just do three or four bullets. Mm-hmm. I maybe put them in my pocket, maybe put them on the table on stage, or maybe put them around the office if I'm online. But what's your thoughts on that? Do you use a script? Do you recommend using a script? It depends. You know, funny, I'm actually heading to the studio after this call to record some videos of myself for the next quarter. And um, and I am using I'm using a script and um and that's because it's just so much to memorize and I don't have that much time to, <laughs> to go through. Um, you know, it, it really depends on, you know, the comfort level of the person. Um, I found that if you are good at writing scripts in a way that you can read what you wrote and not sound like you wrote it, like that becomes more of an art of performance and getting on there to do it. So, um, you know, I think, I think it just depends on the delivery and how you're going for it. So majority of the videos that I'll do today are going to be scripted. But the other half is going to definitely be more of a freestyle. So I'm just going to be seated and, uh, and and my director is just going to shoot me some questions off the dome that I can just answer. And I kind of like that style as well. So that way I get a, a mix of both. So, uh, you know, I, I do recommend a script uh, and, and oftentimes because it does ease it. But you have to also know that that's going to require a little bit of a performance so to speak, because when you read it, you don't want it to look like you're reading. You don't want it to feel like you're reading. So you have to write it in your voice and you have the advantage too to give yourself some notes in your script. So for mm-hmm. example, right now I have a sentence where I say, yep, and, and that's it. And then at the end I say, smile and wave or something like that. I'm the only one who sees that. So I can actually give myself direction and notes or pause here or you know whatever. You can give yourself those notes within your script that will help you to, to deliver it. So I think it just really just depends on, on where someone's most comfortable. I have a client who's coming in in a few weeks to film with us here in San Diego and he's a speaker. And he doesn't do really well with the word for word. So literally on the teleprompter will just be his bullets. So you have a lot of options when it comes to how, how to best deliver, but uh, where do you show up best and what's that style for you? You only really uh, get that once you actually try it and see how, you know, see how each fare for you. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, to your, to your point, the worst thing I think you can do is to look like you're look and sound like you're reading something because people they're not going to put up with yeah. more than five seconds of that. I do think yeah. between all the Facebook lives and like the Casey Neistat and like the Pat Flynn's mm-hmm. and those people doing the videos like they're doing, it has become much more acceptable to have rough cuts. If you don't know what that means, that means like the edit isn't like clearly transitioned. It's just like, boom, boom, cut, cut. Mm-hmm. But also mm-hmm. if you mess up, it's acceptable to be like, Eh, we're, we're moving past that. And like, nobody cares. Nobody's going to be super judgmental. They're not expecting a TV quality piece. What they're expecting is true communication, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I think that, that, I don't know that I always tell people that I'm like, think about all the people that you've seen. Like you actually feel more connected to somebody when they make a mistake 
because you know that it's real. You know that it's really yeah. them being them. Um, yeah. And that's the power of live content too. You know, uh, and I remember when I first got started in my business, I was, you know, really searching for a lot of information. I was YouTubing all the time. There was mm-hmm. this one guy I came across who everything he was telling, I was like, damn, this is like such good information. Like I'm taking notes like crazy, like really, you know, when you get information, like I'm executing on this, you know, and you get that, mm-hmm. that, that feeling. Um, but what was funny was that his video was horrible. <laughs> it was I, I, it looked like a hostage situation. I swear to God, like, it was like, I was like, damn, does this guy need help? Like, where is he sharing this information? Because it looked like it looked really, really bad. <clears throat> but that stood out to me so, so much because I thought to myself, you know what, if, if I had the winning lotto numbers in my possession, in my, in my awareness, would you care if I had, you know, printed it on a laminated piece of paper and put in a folder for you, or would you accept it on uh, you know, napkin with crayon? You know what I'm saying? So to me, the lesson in that too, is like, if the, if what you're sharing is truly a value, you know, some aspects of production, people will not care about as much. They're, they're willing to grow with you. And that was what was beautiful. So his content did eventually change in terms of the the quality of it, but that, that stuck out to me so much because I couldn't believe as somebody who loved video, I was still watching this. I mean, I think at some points I just like, all right, audio only. I can't think it's bothering me too <laughs> much to, to see this. But I mean, everything he was sharing was powerful. I mean, I bought content from him, like, you know, enrolled in some of his programs from crappy looking videos. So uh, just goes to show if your information, your content is good, like you're in good shape. Awesome. Um, okay. So I want to transition just a little bit because we've been talking about video, what makes good video, but what you really help people do. Um, especially with the author's leverage is you help people who have written a book expert in their field, but maybe aren't making all the money that they could be, because let's be honest, selling a $10 book that you get $2 of, you got to sell a hell of a lot of books to make a living. You help them build a course that is video based that teaches what's in the book. And that course usually sells for, I'm guessing somewhere between like five and $2,000, like 500 bucks all the way up to two or Mm -hmm. three grand. Mm-hmm. helps them put a lot more money in their bank account, grow their bottom line. How do you help people do that? Give us like the one, two, three of helping them do that. Yeah. I developed a method called the book to course method. And essentially I bring them through five phases. The first phase is literally planning everything out. So really extracting the information from their book and creating a, an actionable learning experience for those that are going to be consuming it. Um, Cause really it's about taking that next step. And and so in that first phase, we literally plan out uh, everything from the learning objectives, um, activities involved, who it's for, like the whole nine, we we break down. The second part that we get into is actually pre-selling. So we actually start to take the information that we develop from that plan. And that's enough information we really need to set up a a sales page and start to bring traffic to it. So that's Mm -hmm. the second phase. The third phase is we actually get into the production. We start to produce all the assets that are required for it. So the video content, um, you know, any other graphic assets, worksheets, um, you know, you name it. There's a lot of add-ons that can be uh, um, featured that that need to be produced. So that's the third phase. The fourth phase is all about publishing. So that's where we get all that content. Um, up into a learning management system. Most people are familiar with like Kajabi, Teachable, Thinkific, these platforms. uh, We make sure that they get set up properly on those and that that platform is aligned for their students and what's actually being taught. And then the fifth stage is really just promotion. And that's more of an ongoing 
strategy that's in place that keeps the conversation going at that point, not only about their book, but now also about their course. So those are the five steps that I, I bring them through. So again, that's the plan, pre-selling, producing, publishing, and promoting. Nice. What has been some of the outcomes that you've gotten for people that you've worked with? Because that's, I can see people that maybe they have a book, maybe they're thinking about doing a book and they're like, what I really need to do is the course. What are some of the outcomes that you got for people? Yeah, absolutely. I have one client who has a book that's selling on Amazon. She now has a course that's uh, selling for $888 off the same information that's in the book. Um, and she's doing really, really well with that. I think that they have, uh, I have to check in terms of where they're at with their numbers um, uh, as of the end of this year. But I know that they've done uh, at least over $20,000 back from that, again, in comparison to having it being sold on Amazon and getting two bucks per book. Um, now she just created an entire ecosystem for herself, which is amazing. Um, we have a, a couple others that are in the works right now, but the most exciting thing for a lot of these authors is the fact that this is something that they've wanted to do. And they've slaved and worked really, really hard to publish this book. Some people took years, but they don't have anything to show for it. And so the fact that they do have something to show for it and something to point people to is really a powerful effect um, in place. So we've had a lot of topics from productivity to youth empowerment to cryptocurrency to like uh, all kinds of really, really amazing information that we've been able to translate from what was available on Amazon or just on the website as a, as a book to something uh, much more substantial that gets their readers to that next step and gets them in, into action. Nice. The, um, and there, I mean, I've, I've been on a lot of stages over the years and I can't tell you how many people write the book they get a speaking engagement from it that is either free or usually lower paying and they show up and they're just like, how do you do what? Like all the day where I make, you know, six figures from stage. Sometimes there, there have been a few of those and they're just like, how, like, how do you do that? And it's like, you got to have something that you can sell. And, but I have this book. Great. Turn it like exactly what you are doing is what they need to be doing. Cause if they're not, if they're not like the information is the same, but you're actually taking people step by step and showing them. So I want to touch yeah. a little bit more on courses because these are these are the objections that I hear about courses. And I would love to hear your thoughts on them. So mm -hmm. the first one is will people actually pay for a course? If somebody asks that, how do you answer? Well, it's it's really it's a very interesting question. Um what I would say is first of all, nobody goes to sleep and wakes up the next morning thinking, oh my God, I can't wait to buy a course today. Like, no, it's not at the top of anybody's list, right? Um, but what is at the top of their list is just about being happier. And we're happier when we're making progress, when we're actually in action towards something. So understanding what you're actually selling is really important. So if you're taking a book and then take turning into a course, what you're actually selling is a convenient transformation. Right. You've done all the a lot of the work for them. You've told them exactly where to go. So that way they don't have to, you know, you know, scramble through the Internet trying to find their solutions. You've already given it to them. People want change. They want the results. And so if you are able to make that happen and demonstrate that you can make that happen, you can sell this information. It's relevant because it's relevant to them and it's helpful to getting them to that next step in their life to get the results. That's what they want. And so it's not just about the course. It's not even about your book. It's about how can we get them results? And if you can, again, if you can present that in a compelling way, people will want it and people will buy it. 
I just wanted to take a short break from this episode and let you know about one of the biggest secrets I have found when it comes to converting webinars. If you have a webinar and it's not converting as well as you want, or if you're thinking about building a webinar and you want to grab this tip, it has helped numerous people. One of my clients, we actually doubled their conversion rate just by implementing this one simple step. And you can grab it at deathtobadwebinars.com or by clicking in the show notes below. All right, let's jump back to the episode. Awesome. My next question, how do you get traffic to the course? Because I think a lot of people, I've seen some people build a great course and then they have no idea how to drive traffic. They usually did it without a book. But how, how do you recommend people get traffic to their course? Um, you know, it's the same way that you would be selling your book. You know, once your book is out or any product that you're offering, period, your number one job is to market it. <laughs> your number one job is to make that, you know, what you talk about and how you lead people to it. So either likely you're already doing that type of activity or you need to be doing more of it um, or doing it in more strategic ways. So the best ways that I've found to really drive people to the course is one, um, be consistent in showing up online where those conversations are happening. So that could be in different groups. It could be um, in certain forums and going to certain events, being a part of certain groups uh, is really, really great. Um, and, and for most that are authors, I mean, you're already speaking as well. So now, like you mentioned before, you actually have something to point people to. So it's about generating that traffic in, in the ways that make the most sense. So I have also, of course, we know about webinars, master classes, right? Any opportunity where you are presenting and, pre and giving people a taste, right? Um, the best marketing in the world to me are the Chinese restaurants at the malls that had those plates with pieces of chicken, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's the like you give people a taste of what you have to that what you can offer them and do that as, as much as you can, as often as you can, as strategically and as smart as you can. And you'll find that you'll you'll attract the right people uh, to your offers and what you have to um, what you have to offer. OK, I love it. That's I mean, the taste thing is right up my alley. That's what I teach with <laughs> webinars. That's what I teach with yeah. speaking from stage, get people interested, show people what you've got. Um the last, these are a few more technical questions I have for you. Yeah. What do you, like, how long do you think a video should be inside of the course? I've heard three minutes. I've heard 50 minutes. Do you have any, any comment on that? Yes. Um, however long it takes to give them what they need <laughs> and to do it efficiently. That doesn't mean go on and on and on, but what is it that they need? Again, this is about a convenient transformation that you're giving them. So to delabor 15 minutes on something you could explain in five minutes, give them the five minutes. You know what I mean? Um, one of the important aspects about teaching is, yes, knowing what to teach, but also knowing what is not necessary and what not to teach. So you have to be able to distinguish between the both, right? You can brain dump everything that you have on this topic and still find that maybe like 50, 60 percent of it is not really necessary to this result. So know what's important to teach and what, you know, equally is important, what not to teach. And you'll find a much more concise way of delivering this information. Um, and uh, yeah, like it, it, like it makes me think like when I go on YouTube and I'm looking for an answer to something, how annoying is it when I'm like, damn, would they just get to the, <laughs> like, tell me what it is, guy. Like you find yourself skipping through. You don't want that to happen. So you can be really uh, strategic with how you're creating the, the content and the lessons within your course. So that way they're getting the results and they're engaged. 
each lesson should sell the next lesson. Well, that, so that leads to my next question is how do you gamify courses? Cause I've been through some courses that are great, right? Like you watch one video and you're like, okay, I'm ready for the next one. Like, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to actually do the assignment versus like, there are some courses to your point, like people just ramble and you're like, this sucks. Like you're trying to get to the point or it's like so dense and so much information that you get done with the video and you're like, okay, I'm not ready for the next one for a couple of days. So I've got this taken care of. And then I, those are the courses usually I don't finish. Right. Cause I'm like, I'll get to it. I'll do the work. Like I just watched a, a really dense video. I need to unpack it I'll come back. I'll do a little bit of the work. And then, you know, five or six days has gone by. And I'm like, what was I even learning? So how <laughs> yeah. do you balance those? You know, it's uh, the, the completion rate. And I'm glad you brought that up is because it is actually extremely low. I mean, it's like five to 10% of courses actually people go through completely. And so um, I think that what's most important with this is because hmm, you can talk about gamifying it and really creating that experience. And so there's a lot of different ways that that can happen. I mean, some of the technology already has some built-in functionality that shows you what progress you've made. And sometimes that progress bar is really good just to kind of give you that, that confirmation. But I've seen a number of different ways that, you know, the experience has been created within the course. And, and a lot of times I'm seeing that in conjunction with, let's say, a private group, right, where you have mm -hmm. to, you know, share or you have accountability or you have certain penalties or rewards even involved. I think it really, like, that gets checked off to me when it comes to the community. Because when you got other people that are alongside of you going through this experience, you find yourself more accountable. You find yourself um, more excited about the next step because you're not alone. So for me, the community aspect of it really helps to um, kind of give that uh, give that experience and gamify in some ways, right? And that can be really built in within the community. Um, I have seen on a side note some other interesting ways. Like I have one client who's got a course on productivity and instead of her saying on the video to say, all right, you guys, uh, after this video is done, go and complete your, uh, you know, this worksheet or whatever. Instead of that, we actually have it to where built into the video is a timer because these are busy professionals. They don't have time to like, they're, they're, the likelihood of them completing this course is much less because they're busy people. So she actually has it built into the lesson, a, a countdown timer, she says, nope, you don't have to do this later. We're doing it right now. And it's built into the course itself for all of those times. And so things like that kind of make it fun. And uh, it's all about how we can increase that completion rate. It's it's so, so important. And I'm, I'm still learning a little bit more about the gamification side of things. But you know, again, through community and ways of engaging uh, in that way, it really makes a lot of fun. I'm like, I'm all ears and I'm so interested to learn more about the gamification side of it because it really does improve the completion rate of the course. Absolutely. I mean, they're the people who have done it well. It, it just like it keeps you moving through it. And that is the biggest. I mean, I hear people, myself included in this, I won't do a course that stands by itself. I will almost always sell a course and go through it with the people because you see much higher completion rate, which is what's I mean, really, we're trying to transform people. Yes, I want to make money from it. Absolutely. But I also want to transform people. The but gamifying it, if you do it well, will lead to it. The other thing that inside my own head I struggle with is like, it's about a convenient transformation. And if they don't have the patience to go through it, they obviously got the transformation enough. 
Um, that's what I keep telling myself. Sometimes I go back and forth on it, but the, uh, that that's the conversation in my head. Um, hmm. all right. So you walked us through kind of what this looks like. You walked us through the video and the technical stuff that they need to make it happen. You showed us what a course can do for them. I want to ask two last questions. The first one is what are mistakes that you see people make all the time with courses? I think we kind of touched on some of them, but like, if you could just hit them with a ruler, the teacher and you coming out and just like whack and get them to stop, what would you, what would you get them to stop doing? Um, I, you know, the, the thing, cause you asked this earlier, the thing that comes to mind is really detaching yourself from the outcome. Okay. I, you know, when you, yes, we have goals. Yes. That we want to accomplish and, and generate some revenue from these efforts, of course. Um, but one mistake that I've, that I see is like, you just put too much hope into it too much, uh, of, of a sense to where you're like, so attached to the outcome that it can't mm -hmm. happen. So one thing that I, I, that I enjoy being able to, to, to showcase and bring out of my clients is showing up for the love of what you're talking about, showing up and be consistent around that because there, you know, I also believe in this, um, this way of like when you're authentic and you're really speaking from the heart and you know you are turned on and the camera captures that and someone sees that, like that's the, out. <laughs> that's what we yeah. want to get to. That will work. But being a taking that and trying to put a price tag on it and be super attached to the outcome because then you're disappointed when you don't hit that number. You know, it's just to me, like, that's one of the biggest mistakes. I think people set themselves up too much um, in some regards in terms of making what you're what you're going to generate monetarily. Number one, like, yes, it is important, but more importantly, is the impact and what you are looking to bring about, you know, through other people. And you have to show up a certain way to transmit that for people to receive it. And so uh, that, that's just one big mistake that I see is just like. Oh, you know, my course didn't do a million dollars this year. And it's like, okay, like, well, what did it do? Like, what, what can we see here and just perfect and, and improve how, how we show up? You know what I mean? That's, I mean, we, uh, we kind of talked around this earlier. Like I, the people that come on and like, I, I'm, I have to do X this year, right? I have to make this much money. How long have you been in business? Three months, six months, two days, like, <laughs> It's like, no, you, I feel like our generation due to YouTube and Instagram and like social media, they see all these, these people getting results. What they don't understand is there's so much that goes on behind the scenes and like a long, long work ethic. Friends of mine, uh, Brendan and Kaylin Poole and Lady Boss, like they have, they have a business that right now is doing 15 million a month. They didn't get there overnight. They love to like, they, they call it out. They're like, everyone says like, Oh, it must be nice to have the overnight success. What they don't see is we've been grinding since 2003. Yeah. Like we've had four other businesses before we ever got here. And when we started this, we started it like it's a fitness company. They started filming their videos on an iPhone in a planet fitness at 3am. Cause there was no one else there. And they put in the time sweat equity like they built that from nothing and they grinded and it still took them five years to get there that's not an overnight success that is every day if you saw their work ethic every single day 
they're working eight to 10 hours a day. And I like, I love Tim Ferriss. I think if Tim Ferriss could go back and take away the four hour work week, I think he would. Cause he talks about, well, he talks, if, if you follow Tim, he talks about like, you should love what you do so much that every minute you're doing it, it it's like, you're moving forward and it's not work. It's work and play together. Like you look at anyone who is successful, like really successful. And by successful, I mean, makes a lot of money and loves what like has fulfilling life. They work all the time, but they don't see work as a negative. They see it as a positive, like all, all wealthy, successful people have that in common. Uh, Mark Cuban, I point to Mark all the time, Steve Jobs, any of them, like they love what they do to the point that they do it nonstop. That's a, yeah, it, it has yeah, nothing even, to do with video. Even Gary V. Gary V. Well, is he, another one of those people. I mean, he's grind, grind, a, grind. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but he, but he's starting to speak more to, of course, like, you know, uh, just really loving what you do. Cause from his perspective, he says like, people are like, why are you doing business all the time? He's like, I love it. Like, I, this is like, I, I breathe this, like, this is, this is who I am. So yeah. Like be in love with what you do and, uh, It'll make room for you, you know? That's absolutely. I mean, what do they always say? If you could pick any job, pick the job that you would do for free. Mm-hmm. Well, Gary's doing that. I'm doing that. I believe you're doing that. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, it, I don't, it's a whole different discussion outside <laughs> of video that we could yes. spend hours on. Um, oh, yeah. Talk to us about if people listen to this and they're like, I, I need, I want to work with you. I want to learn more about what you do. Do you have any free resources? Do you have a way people can jump on your calendar? How can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everything you can really find at theauthorsleverage.com, including a new mini book that's, uh, that's going to be up probably at the time that this is released, but it's called The Book to Course Method. And I'm really excited about it. The subtitle is How Authors Can Recover the Millions They're Leaving on the Table. So that's a really great read that I think that uh, will really kind of stir you up and give you some perspective of what's going on in the industry and um, how you can really take advantage of it and really have some significant income to show for all the hard work and all the, you know, sweat and tears you put into, you know, your methodologies and your books. Awesome. Well, I just want to say thank you so much. Um, You shared so much. We had a really, really good wide ranging discussion. You unpacked a lot around courses around how to move from just being an author to building course. You debunk some myths for us. Um, I just want to say thanks for, so much for coming on the show and sharing with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Steve. This was dope. No problem. It is my pleasure. To everyone else out there, until next time, take action, change lives, and make money. We'll see you soon. Thanks for checking out today's show. Do you want the fast and easy Cliff Notes version of the actionable steps from today's episode? If so, go to actionbullets.com and download yours today. Also, if you're looking to start using story selling in your business and have stories do 90% of the hard work for you, grab my free course at storyselling.how today. Till next time, take action, change lives, and make money. We'll see you soon.